Welcome to In Session, Conversations with University Counselors. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. In this series, we welcome a number of Queen's University alumni who serve on Queen's University Council. And from them, we learn much about their time as students at Queen's, their career paths after convocation, and what drives their motivations to serve the Queen's community as council members. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of In Session. My name is Dinah Jansen, and I have the great pleasure of welcoming into my virtual studio today Kofi Ado, a Queen's University alumnus, graduate of the Smith School of Business and an executive management consultant based out of Seattle, as well as a current University Council member. Hello, Kofi. How are you today? Hello, Dinah. I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. And uh, I hope things are well out on the West Coast. How's the weather out there? It's not bad. We got our first snow today, so it's not it's, it's not as bad. It, it's kind of fun actually to see the kids out playing. How wonderful. Well, we're still buried in quite a lot of snow here. It's still mid-February for, for <laughs> those who might be listening. We're recording and it's February. <laughs> it's uh, quite a lot right where I am right now. All right. So, Kofi, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living? Uh, yeah, so by myself, I'm originally from from Ghana, West Africa, and uh, moved here with uh, moved here in the states with my family over a decade ago, and um, come from an entrepreneurial family. So you get to learn an early age work ethic, and also that you you can work for your parents, and they can make you work for them without paying you. So you know you, you learn that really early. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did my undergrad in finance um, in in Florida. And uh, went into investment banking after, uh, focused on nanotech companies, advisory services, helping them with capital raising scenarios and so forth. And uh, did that for a few years. And uh, actually, a couple of years right after that, there was this sort of commodity boom cycle based on China's growth. Few would buy that um, predominantly and uh, decided to take the entrepreneurial leap, started a physical commodity uh, trading company, uh, trading physical commodities like scrap metal, lumber, and so forth, um, after which I went into management consulting, given that it was a part of the advisory side of finance that I really liked. Spent about five years there, advising different companies across sectors, um, energy, healthcare, um, you know, manufacturing, you name it, both national and international. It's one of the great learning grounds I would advise most graduates to go into. It, it gives you a lot of hands-on experience. Um, mm-hmm. And um, after doing that for a while, I decided to go back to school, did the executive MBA program, which was a joint program between Cornell and Queens University. It's a fascinating experience. Uh, for graduating, joined Amazon, managing the Global Network uh, Development Division, which essentially is responsible for uh, connecting data centers to help us meet our customers' needs. And uh, now I'm back in consulting. Uh, where we're advising which fire companies on organizational development as well as some product management as well. Amazing. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your time at Queens as well within the program, the shared program between Smith School of Business and Cornell University, which sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. Talk about your time and maybe like some of the courses that you might have been engaged in that you really were passionate about. Maybe some of the activities you were engaged in too as a student with your peers. Uh, yeah, so it's my my time was my time was actually a lot of fun. Probably don't want to sit out a lot for the professors that thought we were busy studying, um, but it was <laughs> it was it's a lot of fun. Got to really meet up. I got a chance to meet a lot of really authentic people that I believe were uh, 
had my best interest at heart in terms of developing as a person and learning, um, engaging. We had the, the Queens Team Challenge, where I learned a lot about you know, the history of Queens and so forth. There were several activities involved, such as scavenger hunting across the campus, which is fun. Uh, for my cohort, they organized um, a dinner boat cruise for us to go in the water, and uh, we got to know each other a little bit better in terms of our interests and um, backgrounds and so forth. Uh, there was one class we had, um, I believe it was our global strategy class, and one of the speakers there was the executive vice president um, for the NFL's international division. And um, he, he was very candid uh, with us about sort of some of the frameworks they're thinking about. Um, they're using to think about how they grow and so forth in different international markets. And that was an you know, exceptional learning experience to hear directly from him. And um, on a personal note, I was working on my individual project, which is focused on setting up a, a private equity firm in West Africa that supported the, the consumer sector, businesses in the consumer sector. And I was able to reach out to several Queens alumni that were very helpful and provided input, feedback, and uh, getting that support from the alumni base was, it was really encouraging to see. So um, overall, it was, a, it was a pleasant experience. So what inspired your interest in finance? Has this been something you've always been interested in uh, from a very young age? Yeah, so um, it's, it's a bit of an odd story, but part of my involvement in our family business uh, back in, in, in Ghana was I got exposed to several parts of what logistics. It was a pharmaceutical distribution business, so logistics, um, finance, and other aspects, whether it's in um, purchasing uh, sort of supplies and so forth from other mm -hmm. vendors. But the finance part I found interesting. Just it seems to be a thread that run across every aspect of the business, and it was quite impactful. And I that's one area that sort of got my attention, and similar thing happened uh, when I started taking my uh, initial courses in undergrad. Um, I found finance fascinating. Okay. So with that in mind, how, how did the, the career path work for you? How did you get from the executive MBA program to where you are now in Seattle? Yeah. So that's another um, item that I think I would you know, attribute to some of the activities some of the activities that happened as part of the program, which were we took several sort of assessments, individual assessments, you get to know yourself a little bit better. And uh, I think what students might find interesting is that as you're even applying to get into the program, uh, there's a lot of introspection and reflection and you, you try, you're thinking about your future and it helps you refine your thinking uh, in terms of areas that you're interested in because you're trying to communicate that in the application process as well. Uh, but I've always been in, interested in sort of finance and tech as, a, as an area. Um, so once I got into a program and I was actually, I was trying to think of a, it was a class I took. I, it was uh, focused on IT strategy taught by a professor, I think James Denford. And it, it was really, um, really fascinating space uh, in terms of thinking about how you can deliver competitive advantage for your clients or kind of companies to use an IT strategy. So once I graduated, I'd started looking at sort of tech firms and considering finance roles within those tech firms, which was sort of a hybrid of the two areas of interest for me. 
Um, and mm-hmm. I ended up networking, reaching out, well, and had a number of people reach out to me as well. Um, so that's how I ended up at Amazon is they approached me with a role there, a finance role, which was managing investments for the global network development team. Um, what are the most effective ways to connect our data centers globally so that we could actually deliver on our promise to our customers. Thank you so much for sharing. Appreciate it. So now you've returned to Queens in a way because you are also giving back to the university by participating as a member of university council. I'd love to hear more about uh, your role on university council and also uh, what inspired you to run for a seat. Yeah, I, it's something that's a great question because what inspired me, I'll start with that first. Um, I've been the education and the lessons that I took from my Queen's education have really been um, impactful to me both professionally and personally. And it's, it's, it's helped me get access to some of the opportunities that's shaped my career thus far. Um, And along the way, I've also been fortunate where I've had several mentors and uh, others in position of leadership or more experienced folks that have, um, you know, guided me and provided me with support. And uh, I think that with that sort of opportunity um, comes some responsibility to do the same for those that are striving to, um, you know, better themselves, grow and develop. Um, so that was one of the um, driving factors. And the second being that obviously I love Queens a lot. I'm a big fan. Um, and uh, knowing the caliber of students that are, you know, being that are studying there, that are trying to have an impact in the world and so forth in a little bit that I can do to help support them through that journey, I think would be, um, would be something that would be helpful across the board and not just for me, but for, for, for everyone involved. Well, thank you for that. And with students in mind, have you any advice for them this year, that those that are listening, about how they might be able to get the most out of the Queen's experience, especially with COVID-19 in mind, and that, you know, they're studying remotely and uh, doing all of their activities where possible remotely as well? Do you have any advice? Um, yeah, I would, I would actually, so there, there are a few things. Um, I think that my advice to them would be, I guess, in two parts, one on a personal level and then two professionally. Um, on a personal level, I think that it creates some opportunities um, for them in terms of um, getting to know themselves better um, and, and, and sort of doing some reflection and introspection and um, gives them time, time to think a bit. Um, but, but it also, you know, gives them I think one of the ways that I've found effective for my clients anyway, the, you know, particularly those in leadership, is because a lot of the, and I, I see a sort of an overlap in, in terms of personality and profiles, comparing some of the high-achieving queen students with the um, uh, high-achieving executives is not taking the time to be self-compassionate, right? Just sort of accepting some of the challenges we're going through and not constantly um, pushing, pushing ourselves to the point where we don't take time to sort of um, accept some of the challenges and then give ourselves sort of permission to sort of recover and, uh, from, from some of these uh, challenges in, in the environment. And it also helps us extend that, um, that to other people in our community and, and, and friends, in terms of friends, family, and so forth, and reaching out and 
and sharing some of that um, that self-compassion with them, checking on them, connecting with them. It's a great time to try and build relationships um, as we're all going through this together. This is not mm-hmm. a different experience for, for different people. So on a personal note, I think it allows us to sort of self-reflect a bit and then try to practice some self-compassion, which I think would, would help us in the long run. Um, on a professional end, I, I think that there are a lot of things that have been accelerated by this environment, pandemic environment, um, the nature of work, for example, where things are uh, becoming more virtual, but it, it played into some big themes. So for example, you have, um, you know, this VUCA world, you know, volatile and certain, and, um, and what's happening is that there, there are sort of a few driving factors that would help our graduates thrive in, in that world around sort of, you know, there's the intelligence part related to critical thinking and problem solving. And there's also the emotional intelligence part, which has to do with sort of getting to know yourself and, 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 and self-compassion and self-awareness and so forth. And then you have sort of the, the, the third part, which I want to focus on, which has to do with the adaptability quotient is how you adapt to different environments. And the, these are critical elements to thrive in that future of workspace. And I think that looking at this environment as an opportunity to, um, to assess your own ability to adapt, um, your, your change agility, uh, so to speak, to this environment and identify some ways in which you could be better. And I think would go a long way to help um, sort of from a professional career development because your role and the skills and the tools that you need to do your job would evolve much more rapidly and you need to be able to change with it to, to, to sort of thrive in that, in, in that work environment. So that's how I would put it. I'm totally going to do all of these things. <laughs> You've inspired me. Thank you. <laughs> I hope our student listeners will do the same too. <laughs> awesome. So how about Queen's University alumni? Uh, let's talk about them for a few minutes before we close. How can they stay engaged with the university as well, wherever they happen to be in the world? And why should they do so? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I think they should uh, do so. Well, I, I think the right thing to do, but also it, it, it helps sort of strengthen uh, the, the Queen's brand itself and helps us sort of pass, uh, pass along some of the um, opportunities and successes that we've had as alumni to help those that are coming after us also. You know, have a good chance. Um, but there's several ways they can get involved. I, I think that one of the way I frame it anyway is that I try to keep it simple, meaning pick one thing, one area of the student activities that interest you or aligns um, with things that you want to work on or currently already working on that you can support or pick one student uh, that you can mentor. Just keep it really simple. Um, we do have you know, several organizations and committees uh, across the student body, including the counselors that you, you could, they, they could be part of, but there's so many opportunities. And I've been fortunate to have uh, Terry in my corner, who's been um, uh, sort of guiding and sharing some of the opportunities that are uh, currently going on. So whether you're reading the alumni uh, newsletters or you're joining a lot of the other online um, uh, communities related to Queens, just check in once in a while. And another tip I would recommend to them is um, once you've identified the activities that are going on, just make sure you add them to your work calendar. 
it goes a long way to making sure that you don't miss them. Um, so just identify a couple of activities you want to be part of, put them in your work calendar, and it, it increases the likelihood that you would uh, attend. I know we all have busy lives. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so last words on why uh, university alumni might also consider running for a university council seat this year. You know, it's, it's um, we don't, there are very few opportunities like being in the council that allows us to have a real impact. Um, I'm fortunate to be serving with some fantastic folks, um, really intelligent and um, committed to the role. And so you be, you be in good company, but you actually get to have a voice in a number of the um, critical university priorities and agenda. So whether it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, whether it's international partnerships, um, how we support students, and, and, and particularly in, in, in these challenging times, um, you get to participate in that and you, you get to sort of bring your expertise, your experience, um, to the table, the dean and the university leadership have been really great at um, reaching out to us, working with us, and inviting us to be part of the conversation. So you really get to shape um, how things evolve at university, and there are very few opportunities I've seen um, that allow that. But more importantly, uh, your the opinions and, and the suggestions are taken. Um, seriously and, and acted upon. So um, I find myself you know, lucky and privileged to be in a position. And I think that others who are interested should definitely um, reach out and, and, and try to get involved. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. So folks, we have been chatting with Kofi Ado, a Queen's University alumnus, as well as a member of University Council, all about his time at Queen's and his uh, uh, program between Queen's University and Cornell University in the Executive MBA program. We also learned about Kofi's uh, career path since that has taken him to Seattle and uh, his experience with the University Council. Thank you so much, Kofi, for joining us today. Sure, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. Enjoy this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In Session, Conversations with University Counselors. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen, and today I'm in my virtual studio with Dr. Anita Jack-Davies, the Assistant Dean, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Indigeneity. Nope. Indigenization. Yes, that was the other <laughs> correction, wasn't it? Yes. I'm sorry, I'm looking. That's okay. But that that's a good place to start because... So many individuals at Queen's are using the term indigeneity, including myself, and then our uh, Associate Vice Provost Janice Hill corrected me and, and all of us in the Faculty of Arts and Science and let us know that as settlers, we cannot achieve indigeneity. That is only something that Indigenous peoples can achieve. And so we must use the term indigenization. So I think this is a great learning opportunity for, for everyone. Great. Okay. So folks, again, we're, <laughs> we're talking with Dr. Anita Jack-Davies, who is the Assistant Dean, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Indigenization 
in arts and science right. at Queen's University. Awesome. You got it. <laughs> yes. So thank you very much. Uh, I yes, I hadn't realized that the name had uh, the name of the position had changed. So thank you for the correction and the instruction on why the name has changed. It's very important for all of us to know. So Anita, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and and your role as Dean mm-hmm. Equity, Diversity, Inclusion and Indigenization? Well, I like to describe myself as a professional academic. Uh, And by professional, um, what I mean is I come to the academy uh, having worked as an entrepreneur, as someone, a workplace diversity consultant. And so I've helped clients, uh, including Global Affairs Canada, Durham Regional Police, the city of Kingston, uh, and I bring this to my work. So my position was created, uh, I started on October the 5th, and it is the first time that the Faculty of Arts and Science has had an assistant dean looking after equity, diversity, inclusion, and indigenization. So mm-hmm. I'm very, very proud to be uh, to be the first uh, incumbent in this role. And um, my role is to help um, our departments to uh, implement and uh, infuse uh, EDII into everything that they do with respect to, uh, you know, the curriculum, uh, recruitment, um, you know, uh, changing the culture of Faculty of Arts and Science. And so I work very closely uh, with the other leaders in the Dean's office. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, happy to be happy to be in the role. Wonderful. So can you tell us about uh, some of your time at Queen's University uh, when you were a student yourself? I understand you did your doctorate at Queen's. Mm -hmm. What were you researching? Um, So I I did my master's and my PhD here at Queen's and my master's looked at um, teacher education um, from the perspective of uh, a student, a teacher, and an administrator, and trying to sort of, it was called colorblindness in teacher education. So this, the idea of let's move away from thinking that, you know, there is no such thing as race, and we're all colorblind, and I don't see color and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then my doctoral dissertation looked at teaching teachers how to teach in urban and quote unquote inner city communities. Um, And I really enjoyed my dissertation. I really enjoyed conducting the research for that. And I conducted the research for that dissertation with teacher candidates in Kingston, Ontario. Um, And so that was a a departure um, from the field because typically uh, information like that, uh, data like that is collected in, you know, large urban centers. So it, it was a great, great project. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your career path since finishing your dissertation. Mm-hmm. How did you find yourself as an assistant dean in arts and science? <laughs> well, I certainly didn't think that this would ever happen. Um, when I graduated, it was uh, the economic downturn in, in 2011. And with my dissertation topic, I didn't think that I would find uh, an academic position like that at, with that topic in mind at mm-hmm. Queen's. But I had also had my daughter Kennedy in the first year of my program. And so here we are, we're a young family and my partner, Eric and I, we were like, we can't move to BC. We can't move to, you know, Nova Scotia for me to to do this kind of work. So we decided to stay here in Kingston. I ended up doing um, work as an adjunct Mm -hmm. in the Department of Geography and Urban Planning, as well as the Department of uh, Gender Studies. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking about starting my own business because I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not going to work as an academic. I know that I have this young family. 
what can I do that I really love to do? And what can I do where I will be able to work at my own pace without having to sort of punch in at a certain time because of this baby that I have to take care of? And so I started my business um, in 2012. And Within about a month of starting my business, I got my first contract by partnering with a lawyer here in Kingston. His name is uh, John Curtis. And we did a huge project um, in the Toronto area. So that was a lot of reassurance for me that there was a need for my business at that time. And after that, I did that uh, full time for a couple of years. I then worked at Ryerson University uh, from 2018 to 2020. And I did training for faculty, staff, students, all, you know, in, in the area of EDI. Uh, and I was always consulting on the side as well. And then I came back to Queens when the pandemic hit, because obviously I didn't want to be traveling from my home to Ryerson and back with, with the pandemic and COVID-19. And I took a role in, uh, at the Faculty of Education as a research advisor. And mm -hmm. then I was also uh, giving advice to the EDII implementation committee in the Faculty of Arts and Science. And then this, this idea of uh, a senior leadership role in FAS came up and I was asked to consider it. And so here I am. <laughs> so a bit of a meandering and, and long winding road, but, um, but, but it's paid off in the end. Well, and congratulations you. to you. Thank you. So, so let's hear a little bit more about the work that you've been doing as well on University Council, yeah. on which you are a member as well. Uh, and given your role in EDII, mm -hmm. are you participating in any of the EDII work of the University Council at the moment? Uh, yes, great question. So I became a University Councillor last year. Mm -hmm. And when I got onto council, I was very happy. I wanted to give back to the university in some way, but I also felt strongly that I should be giving back with respect to my skill set. And that skill set is EDI, equity, diversity, inclusion, indigenization. And they put a call out for an EDI advisor um, early in 2020, and I applied mm -hmm. and, and I was successful. And so that was one of the things that I wanted to contribute uh, to. And um, in June or July of last year, we did an open meeting, an open meeting on EDII, so that councillors could actually come together and talk about what was happening at Queen's and what was happening on campus. And I would say that we just like we had an unprecedented year in 2020. If you look at, you know, stolen by Smith or erased by engineering, if you look at, you know, vandalism in, in town hall, or if you look at what was happening with the medical school with, you know, uh, bringing black students in. It, it, also the declaration uh, on race that, that Patrick Dean, uh, you know, put out our, our principal. I, I just thought it was a, a, a good time to be sort of giving back with respect to EDI. And we had our AGM uh, in October. Mm -hmm. And EDI played a, a huge role in terms of what counselors were saying and how counselors would like to sort of um, move forward with the ambassadorial role of university counselors. Great. So it's, been, it's been great. All right. So yeah. thank you very much for sharing. Why might other university alumni, wherever they might be in the world, why might they consider uh, running for a seat on university council this mm. year? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I strongly believe in if it's not happening uh, and you can uh, jump in and, and, and help out. 
And so for me, my big thing is if I'm not completely 100% happy with, let's say, equity, diversity and inclusion efforts on campus, my question to myself then becomes, what can I do then to help? Who can I work with so that together we are going to make this campus, you know, let's say a, a better place, quote unquote, for let's say if my daughter wants to come to this university at, at some point. So I think the university council provides a great balance in the sense that you can get involved, you can learn about what's happening at the university, you get a chance to work with amazing alumni, like literally from across the globe, because people are, you know, on university council are living in the States, in Europe, you know, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's also a chance to say, I care about this university, and this is how I can do my little part. Great. Thank you. Now, of course, at the time of recording, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. We're, we're at our respective homes instead of on campus in CFRC studios. Uh, and many students are, of course, at home uh, doing their studies and maybe uh, trying to maintain some kind of a social life as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder, Anita, if you have any advice, particularly given your, your knowledge and expertise of EDII, do you have any advice for students, particularly BIPOC students, about yeah. how they can get the most out of the Queen's experience this year, especially? Mm. Yeah, another great, great question. Um, you know, I, I, I want to recognize the diversity that we have within our student body. And I'm not talking about cultural diversity per se. I'm talking about who students are in terms of their social locations, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to put all students into a particular category because we know they're coming from many different places and have many different backgrounds. But I would say that Um, students who come to Queens may already know about our history in terms of this being a campus that might not have always been uh, as welcoming as we're trying to be today. So I would say, don't let that history prevent you from wanting to, again, jump in and do your part. I think that the timing is right right now Mm -hmm. for students, especially BIPOC students to say, you know, why, why are we doing it this way? Or why is this not here? How come, you know, this measure is not in place? I think this is a good time for students to question. I think it's a good time for students to get together with each other and plan and and partner. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's a good time for students to claim this university as their university too, and not sort of, you know, sort of be on the sidelines watching other people get involved. And Queen's University has such a, a vibrant student life and a, a vibe where students are really sort of uh, encouraged to take on leadership positions. Mm-hmm. I would love to see BIPOC students taking leadership by the horns and saying, I am a leader. I have been a leader in my community and I'm going to bring those leadership skills to this campus. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So now with all of the work that you do and clearly the the research expertise that you have as well in equity, diversity, inclusion and indigenization, what is it that you love most about in engaging in education and activities related to equity, diversity, inclusion and indigenization? You know what? Listen, I love what I do. I love the work that I do. I love it so much that I would do it for free, but I do not do it for free, right? <laughs> and that's when I know that I'm in in the zone. I say to myself, would I do this for free? And if the answer is yes, that means that I'm, I'm doing what I love. It's, it's my passion. And I think that if you can work within your passion on a daily basis, I think that's a gift 
in and of itself. Mind you, the caveat is, and this is something that really troubles me, often people will approach me um, with a, oh, you know, it's social justice and we're all in this together and, oh, but we can't pay you. I'm, I'm sorry. This work is difficult work and mm -hmm. you may not always be able to pay an individual monetarily, but I, I want to see some, some, I want to see respect for this work in the sense that if, if you're asking professionals to give it their time and give it their expertise, they must be compensated. And so as much as I, I like partnering and I like working, you know, across teams and that, especially out in the sort of consulting world, I always try to say my work is valued. And if you value me, you will compensate me for my time. But it doesn't always have to be a financial compensation. It's compensation that shows we respect what you do and, and you're bringing value to the table. But, but I, love, I love this field. It is difficult. It is not easy work. If you think EDI is easy, EDII is easy, it, it will not be very long before you realize <laughs> how complicated and how tricky it is. <laughs> and so I say, approach the work with a bit of humility, mm -hmm. approach the work recognizing that there's a whole lot that you don't know, and approach the work asking others who do know for support and recognizing that they may have a lived experience that you do not have. So yeah, that's my advice. <laughs> It sounds it sounds to me like it's a role where not only are you blazing trails, I suppose, with uh, being able to educate people, but you're also in a position where you get to learn something new almost every day, too. Absolutely. And I think that's where the humility comes in. And I was talking to a colleague uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said to me something like, you know, sometimes I feel like I might get it wrong. And I said to him, have you thought about this concept of being called in? So rather than being called out, uh, what I learned at Ryerson when I worked there is that we, we, we talk about being called in where you could actually go to someone and say, you know what, when you said the term uh, people of color, I want you to know that we're now moving towards the term racialized. So rather than calling people out, we're actually calling people in so that you do not feel diminished. And I feel good about the fact that I've shared something with you so that your knowledge is, is, is increased in the process too, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so there's an interesting lesson because I still use people of color in my right. daily language. <laughs> should, I should I now move to well, talking about racialized people? Racialized. You know what? We're moving towards, we're using that term more frequently. Like I, I personally do not use uh, people of color anymore just because what, what does it mean, Right. Okay. Um, and it's 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 a term that is coming from a, a place, a position of power in, in the sense that because I am racialized, all of a sudden I'm sort of colored. Right. So there's just a whole lot of sort of work that goes into sort of unpacking that. And I've done that work with my students. And it's sometimes very difficult for people to wrap their heads around it. But if we keep using it, we will never uh, get over it. We will never be able to critically examine it. So we're moving towards racialized at this point. Yeah. Well, as a non-racialized person, <laughs> thank you very much. It's fun to learn something new every day. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> and, and I hope that I called you in and didn't call you out. <laughs> I feel called in. I feel you're included. In. Okay. And now I feel like I can be more inclusive of other folks too. Great. So, thank Great. you That's so much. Awesome. You're welcome. All right, listeners. <laughs> We've all learned something new today. Thank you so much. Do you have anything else to add before we close, Anita? 
Um, no, I the, the other only other thing I wanted to add is that I know it's Black History Month, um, and I'm excited about all the initiatives that I see happening on campus this month. And I know that the Faculty of Arts and Sciences is working on, on a piece where we're looking at past, present, and future. And um, the Black Studies minor is something that's being launched in the fall. And so there, there are lots of really positive things happening right now. And I just wanted to say that I'm really proud to, um, to be part of some of it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, folks. We have been talking with Dr. Anita Jack Davies, the Assistant Dean Equity, Diversity, Inclusion and Indigenization here in the Faculty of Arts and Science at Queen's University. Thank you so much for this conversation with you today. I've had a really great time talking with you and learning so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In Session. I'm Dinah Jansen. In my virtual studio today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming Aziz Garuba, Queen's University alumnus and member of University Council. Aziz, welcome to CFRC. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. So it's a great pleasure to have you here today. Can you, can you tell us about yourself and who you are and what you do for a living? Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, I... Um, I'm currently a director at the Royal Bank of Canada, so I work uh, within our capital markets finance team, mm-hmm. uh, and I look after cost transformation and reporting on our uh, expense side of the P&L. Um, and prior to that, I was a consultant at EY, and prior to that, I was at RBC. So I left RBC, went, uh, went out for a little stint, and then came back uh, just last year. Um, outside of all of this, uh, as you mentioned, you and I sit on the University Council, uh, also sit on the board of the Black Health Alliance uh, as well. And uh, I also run a podcast. So I'm the, the host and producer of the Made to Lead podcast. And it's a show where I interview a variety of amazing Black individuals that are doing fantastic things uh, all around the world. Oh, boy, where can we find that podcast? Uh, so you can find the podcast everywhere on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, wherever you, you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for sharing. Appreciate that. Now, Aziz, let's hear about your time at Queen's University. What, uh, what program were you enrolled in and what kinds of activities were you engaged in when you were a student? Right. So I, was, uh, I, I did the MBA program at Queen's. Uh, I did the accelerated MBA uh, specifically. Um, and I was living in Ottawa at the time. So I was part of the Ottawa campus. Um, and it's funny when, you know, when we look back now, uh, and I think it's been 10 years since I actually um, started the program. Uh, looking back now, I mean, you know, we were doing virtual learning at the time, right? Because, you know, we, we were in groups in, in different parts of the country, uh, effectively tuning into professors in Kingston, uh, which everyone is now doing through, you know, the Zoom conferences and, and, and online learning. Um, so, yeah, it was a fascinating time. Uh, and, you know, got to spend some time on campus uh, during our residency sessions and uh, connect with the, the, the rest of the cohort. Um, and what I particularly enjoyed was just the diversity of students and experiences that they that everyone brought to to the class. Um, you know, from young folks that were you know 
like myself at the time that were looking to improve our careers and make career switches to some seasoned, uh, you know, veterans of, of, of industry that were in the class uh, as well. So I, I enjoyed that time frame. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, some of the things that we, of course, got up to, you know, I think, uh, you know, once summer came along um, uh, and we're back in residency in Kingston, uh, you know, we, we took time to enjoy ourselves and enjoy the weather, and, you know, boat cruises, visiting uh, some of the more interesting spots in Kingston, uh, and just overall having a, a great time uh, uh, with ourselves on campus. Where's your favorite place to be in Kingston? Oh, I think it was, I think the place was called The Grizz or The, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it's The Grizz, right? Yeah, yeah The Grizzly Grill. Yeah, yeah, so it was, <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was the spot that everyone told us that we must go to. So we, we ended up all enjoying ourselves there uh, fairly often. Great, great. So uh, yeah, the Accelerated MBA program, that sounds extremely exciting and competitive and also a bit daunting given that MBA programs are only about a year. What does Accelerated actually mean? Yeah, so it, so yeah, so, so this was a very interesting program because it was a one-year program uh-huh. as well, uh, but it was, and it, it was considered full-time but we had classes every other weekend. So compared to most other MBA programs that are in class, you know, your five days a week type of situation, you know, it was every other weekend. So there's, while we were working, so, you know, you, I, I was still on my job while doing the program. Um, so the intensity was there because you had to keep up with all of the learnings, had to work in your, in your teams, and you had effectively you know, almost 26 or less opportunities mm-hmm. uh, to be in class. Um, and, and so, so there was an intensity of that. It was really a program that was sped up, um, uh, to fit within that one year time frame. Uh, but it was definitely worth it. You know, you, you had the opportunity to still maintain, you know, if you, depending on where you were, your seniority and, and work, um, or, and, and not necessarily lose work experience while doing the program. And, and for some, some folks in the program, you know, it, it, they could immediately apply the learnings in real time. Uh, to 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 their work environment, and and I think that was the benefit of of this particular structure. Okay, thank you for that. Appreciate it. So after convocation from the accelerated MBA program, what happened on your career path? How did you get from Queens to where you're at now? Right. So I I would say that the MBA program itself was the definite. Um, career booster for me, right? And, and again, it was the reason I, I chose the program. Um, so I was able to, to pivot uh, from where I was working. So I, I started my career at the government in, in tax audit. And I was able to, um, you know, after graduation, land a role with, with RBC, um, you know, got to move to Toronto and join, join the bank after that uh, in a rotational program. Uh, and yeah, that was sort of the beginning of, you know, the journey to, to where, I, where I'm at at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so as an undergrad, where did you study uh, your undergrad? Yeah, so my undergrad was at the University of Ottawa at the Telfer School of Management. Okay, so <laughs> finance, management, banking has uh, been in your blood for quite some time. What, pretty, what inspired that? So, so I, I studied accounting and finance in undergrad, and, and the decision to go the accounting route was actually something I made in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prior to prior to immigrating to Canada, you know, I was always sort of on that path towards being a doctor. Um, you know, that, uh, most of us uh, in our, uh, you know, in in my cohort at the time were headed towards the medicine, the engineering. 
But then I moved to Canada and, you know, uh, got into high school um, or, or joined high school again in Canada and started to explore other areas like business courses and economics and got very fascinated with accounting um, and business as a whole. Um, and I realized that, you know, I, I wanted to learn how, um, you know, businesses really functioned and having an accounting background was the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. And also, and, and, you know, going, uh, going into commerce, um, you know, accounting was one of the only programs where you came out of the, of, of the program and you were a professional immediately, right? So you finish accounting and you become an accountant. Uh, and that was what I also wanted to have, right? You know, engineers become engineers after and doctors mm-hmm. that study medicine become doctors, right? So, so that was the, the motivation to, to go through that program. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, and you know, the, 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 when I made that decision in, I think it was grade 11 in, in high school, um, it was really a, a session from the CMA, so the Chartered uh, Certified Management Accountants uh, of Ontario at the time. Uh, they had a student session in, in class and, you know, it just solidified that desire. And literally 10 years to the day that I made that decision, I got my CMA designation, um, and, and which has now been morphed into the, the CPA. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that's really how that path and that uh uh, decision sort of has led me to to this point. All right. And now you've been uh, away from the university as a student for about 10 years, I think you said, yep. but you've returned and are giving back through your service on university council. What inspired you to run for a seat? So I wanted to, uh, as you rightly stated, just, just give back in, in some kind of way. Um, and I also wanted to help with uh, the, with trying to improve the diversity on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt that, you know, having uh, someone like myself on, on the council and having at least my face somewhere there, you know, prospective students could actually look at that and say, hey, there's alumni that looks like, you know, like me, um, this is probably a school that I should should look into. Um, and, and again, this was largely because, I, you know, Queens has had a reputation, even since when I was in, in high school and undergrad, Queens has had this reputation as a very elite tier one school that only a certain type of people tend to go to. But mm. the funny thing is that myself and my two younger siblings have all been through Queens, you know? <laughs> um, and so, you know, and, and I think it's one of those where it's like, I think there's this, this thing that folks that go to Queens, there becomes a tradition that some of their kids end up in Queens and, you know, you get, multiple generations of, of Queens grads. And, you know, I wanted to, to let, you know, I wanted to be that visual representation that, yeah, that there is room for, for, for black individuals to be part of this university um, and also be part of that driving force to, you know, to bring, um, to make the school more accessible and more equitable uh, for a diverse set of students. Mm, great. Thank you so much for sharing. So since your time on University Council, can you tell us about some of the activities that you've been able to engage in? Yeah, so so some of the things that at least I've personally worked on, um, uh, you know, I'm currently sitting on uh, a search committee uh, for the next dean for, for the Smith School of Business, mm-hmm. um, which of course is, is a very, very um, important task, especially leading the, the university into the next phase of what I call the future of education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more so now in this time where you know digital transformation has really 
accelerated as a result of the pandemic. Um, some of the other things that we've looked at, of course, is, is you know, the tasks of understanding the governance of uh, the university as a whole. So I'm sort of, I've sort of taken time to settle in, to mm-hmm. understand all of those, especially as a first-time counsellor. Uh, and sort of learn from from uh, and observe what's going on, and then you know adding my input as and when required. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of what I've been up to so far. So you sound like a pretty busy individual all around. <laughs> I can yeah. I can tell just by the the nature of your job <laughs> that, yeah. that you you probably work beyond the nine to five. But it sounds like the many contributions you're making uh, to your wider community uh, can can take a lot of your time. Yeah. Uh, wow, and that's really great. So with that in mind, uh, there are students at Queen's University right now who are you know, studying at home and trying to figure out how to manage it all because there's so much. Right. Do you have any advice for them about you know, uh, staying on track with all of the work that they have to do, but also you know, keeping it in perspective and staying well and healthy and still yeah. trying to have some fun in between? Yeah, so what I've, what I've learned is you, know, you are priority number one as an individual, mm-hmm. right? You have to take care of yourself first um, before you're able to do other things. And, and it goes for both work and studies. Prioritize your health, prioritize your mental health in particular, especially during this time where you know isolation can um, create some real issues uh, for people depending on your personality. Um, so that that's the first Thing that I would advise people to do is just take care of yourself as an individual. You're not going to be able to study well if you're not healthy mm-hmm. uh, or if you're not mentally in the right uh, uh, headspace. Um, so if you focus on that, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through exercise, whatever it is that works for you, uh, do that uh, first. And then of course, if you, know, if you happen to have started um, classes before the pandemic and you know, you've already built a network of friends, reach out to people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, I think what this pandemic has shown us is that sometimes we take for granted the accessibility of those around us. Um, so, it, and, and it, take the extra efforts to actually reach out to people um, and not just on, you know, WhatsApp or, or iMessage or whatever text format, but, you know, use the phone and call someone. Right. I mean, that's what they were invented for to begin with. Right? Who uses telephones anymore? Yeah, yeah. Everyone can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just call someone and call a friend or and 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 just find out how each other is doing. Um, and uh, even your professors, sometimes I think, uh, you know, we sometimes feel that, uh, you know, they're far out of reach, but um, it can be easier now, even with, with um, you know, Zoom and, and other video conferencing capabilities to just um, have a touch point with a professor, um, even for things outside of the class. So, so yeah, so th- those are the things I'd say that students should, should, should focus on uh, during this period. Great. Thank you. That's really sage advice. And, and with the continued theme of advice, maybe we can pivot now to advice you might have for recent alumni and how to stay engaged with each other, especially during the pandemic, and also how they might stay in touch with the university too. Right. Um, so yeah, as, as I, th- I think the same advice probably applies, right? You know, call up your, your friends that have just mm-hmm. 
you've just graduated with. Um, organize interesting catch-up alumni nights, right, within your own circle. It's easier now, even if you're spread around the world, right, uh, mm-hmm. that, that you can do that. You know, before we would have organized something to go out for, for drinks or, or for coffee. Uh, but now you can do virtual coffees and virtual drinks. Um, and then also, you know, join uh, or be part of any specific alumni associations related to whether it's your faculty or your area of interest. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm a member of the, the Queens Black Alumni chapter, uh, very actively involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and there are other groups similar to that, that I think people can, can be affiliated with. Um, I also participate in a few events with the, uh, um, the, the Queens Toronto uh, uh, alumni branch uh, as well. Um, so those are things that you can do to sort of get involved and stay connected uh, to, to the school. Wonderful. And last thoughts on why alumni might consider running for university council this spring. Um, It's an interesting way to stay connected, right? And I think it expands your network. So I've met some interesting folks on the council that I otherwise would not have um, run into in the, you know, in the course of my day-to-day activities. Um, And yeah, I think it opens your mind to thinking about um, uh, leadership, about uh, guidance for students, because I mean, even when we were in, in, in school, we never paid attention or clued in that, oh, there might be some people that actually run this place to, to make or advise on how to run this place. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get that opportunity to actually shape, in my opinion, the, the direction of the school or help shape that direction, especially as education is evolving significantly uh, uh, at a significantly faster pace now than let's say 10, 15 years ago when, um, you know, I was at Queens and or when I was an undergrad. Wonderful. Anything else to add before we close today? Uh, no, I guess, uh, you know, everyone continue to stay safe as, as per usual and just respect all the health protocols. And uh, yeah, don't forget to check out the, the podcast uh, Made to Lead on all podcast uh, channels. Nice plug. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Folks, we have been chatting with Aziz Garuba, who is a uh, Queen's University alumnus, member of University Council, and also an amazing podcaster. Check out his podcast today. Thank you so much, Aziz, for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.